0: As we get into the message, uh, those of you have been here enough, you know that I like to pray a little prayer before I get started, so I'm going to invite you to join me in what I call my little centering prayer. And so we'll just uh, start out with a word of prayer this morning for me. God, I just come before you right now, Lord, and Lord, I just thank you so much for the opportunity to speak your word. And so, Lord, I pray that the words that you've laid upon my heart are truly your words and not mine. Lord, whatever is true, let it be sealed up in our hearts, and whatever is false, let it just fall by the wayside. And God, ultimately, in all that is said this morning and done this morning, may we just glorify and honor your name. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. So as you've heard, we're starting a new series called there you go and the reason we want you to read your bible is because there is no way you are ever going to get everything you need out of your faith out of your out of your relationship with christ if you are not reading the bible on your own if you just come to church on sunday uh let's just be honest there's a lot of times we miss a sunday here there that's not going to be a relationship that's going to be like a religious duty all right we want you to be reading this thing every day because this is where the truth and a relationship with God stands all right and so as we go through this series called read your bible we're going to be looking at the life of David and this morning as we as we begin the journey i'm going to be talking about david's calling and david's calling is is where it all starts and it, and as we go through this whole series we're going to discover why was David chosen for the lineage of the Messiah, of Jesus Christ, to be chosen to go through the line of the tribe of Judah, which is, which is David. And so all that's going to make sense as we go through this whole series. But we start with, how did it even begin? And it started at David's calling. And so we're going to talk about that today uh, in a little bit more depth. But before we do that, I want you to understand why we do read your Bible and why we encourage you guys to develop your own tools for Bible study purposes. All right. Now, over the years, every summer, we do a series called Read Your Bible, and we give you different tools, and we've used different uh, types over the years. They all have the basic same tenets within them, but what we're using this year is something called soap. All right. And we've used this before, so maybe those of you that have used it, you remember it. Um, but it's soaping through the scriptures. All right. I think Wayne Cadero is the guy who kind of coined this phrase. Um, But it's really just Bible study tools. And so you pick a scripture, generally fairly easy, you just Pick, pick a scripture, all right, and then, and then you observe it. And there, during that observation process, that's what I'm going to dive into a little bit more on the, the headiness this, this morning, because if we don't observe well, we're not going to apply well, all right, and so you've got to observe well, and then once you observe well, then you go into the application process, and the application is, okay, how does that translate to my life today? I take the truths of the ancient scriptures, and I apply it to practical purposes today, um, and that's the application. And then with prayer, we summarize it with prayer saying, Dear God, help me to honor what I just read in my daily living. And so that's what the process looks like. And as we pick a scripture, it's usually fairly simple. Um, you just really pick one and uh, kind of go from there. Uh, if you struggle with that, let me know, I'll, I'll help you out. But that's kind of where it all starts. And then observation is where we get ourselves into trouble. Right, because it's in the observation process when we really begin to see our differences kind of come out. And so there's two words in this observation process that I want you to go away from here knowing and understanding today. Okay? And they're, they're going to sound big, but they're really not big or scary. Uh, it's eisegesis and exegesis. Okay? And I need you to understand the difference because it's the difference of these two that are going to help your observation process be a lot more um, beneficial in your Bible study. So exegesis is simply defined as this. It's drawing out the text meaning in accordance with the author's context and discoverable meaning, all right? This is what we do in any literary work of art, okay? And so the scriptures happen to be a piece of literature, and so you practice good exegesis so that you know what the original context was. If you don't have original context, you're going to get yourself in in a bad application, okay? So it goes on. Uh, this is an objective approach to literary interpretation, okay? That's exegesis, right? This is what we want you to do, exegete the scriptures. We want you to understand the historical context, what was the original author trying to convey, because if you think about the scriptures, every scripture that was written had an audience just like you, in a culture very different to ours, all right? And so that original author had a meaning that he was saying to that original audience, Right look different the 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 people group were different but we have to understand that context so that we don't take it out of uh out of order so then we have eisegesis and this happens all the time eisegesis is the natural human drift okay if you don't understand exegesis trust me you are eisegeting the scripture all right you will eisegete before you exegete every single time why because this is when a reader imposes their interpretation onto the text or of the text it's simply you want to fit God into your box and you're going to make the scripture say whatever you want it to say if you take one scripture out then that's it's kind of like if you take one out and just kind of think I'm isolating that scripture I'm isolating that scripture right I'm isolating it to fit what I want it to say and for God to be who I want God to be that is not exegesis, that is eisegesis. This is a highly subjective approach to literary interpretation. It happens all the time. It's happening in churches everywhere and we strongly discourage you from doing it in your personal study. Now, does it make you a horrible, rotten person if you do it? No, just be honest with yourself if you've done it, okay? All right? it, because what's going to happen is when we eisegete God's word, we make it say things that he didn't say. All right, And that gets us into trouble in the world that we're living in. All right? Now, why is this so important? And I, and I want to I be as nice as I can with this, but it's probably going to sound meaner than it is. all right. <laughs> so we live in a biblically illiterate world. all right. We live in a biblically illiterate church, and the Western church is even more biblically illiterate than other churches. And I say Western, I'm not talking about journey in general because you guys, I'm sure, break the mold. Um, but <laughs> when I say biblically illiterate, it's not because you can't read. It's because you don't. It's not because you can't read, it's because you won't. Um, you see, if I, if I pulled the audience, I'm not going to so say don't raise your hand, all right? If I pulled the audience and I asked how many of you have read the Bible from cover to cover, I'd get a few hands, okay? If I asked and pulled the audience how many of you have read the Bible cover to cover multiple times, I'd get fewer hands. So what does that mean? It means you're biblically illiterate. You have no idea what the Bible really says. Why? Because you haven't read it. And so what happens is, we, we as Christians, as followers of God, we say that we love God, but we have really no clue what he really said. We eisegete so that we know what we want him to have said. And when what we want him to have said doesn't line up with what the world says, then we fall into a problem. And so that's why we want you to understand the scriptures, because what if, what if I'm up here preaching heresy, but I use God's word to do it, you're never going to know, because you don't know it for yourself. And we, we put leaders and teachers all around us, we, with the inundation of Social media, man, we can listen to podcasts all day long, but we don't really know if they're teaching the truth if you don't know the Word of God yourself. So that's why it's so imperative that we want you to read your own Bible on your own each and every single day because we want the Word of God to get inside of you. And the only way you can get something in you is if you read it and digest it, okay? Now, Two more words I want you to understand today. So we got ice and exegesis. All right. You ready for the next two? These are two are great. I love these two too. All right. This is college class 101. You ready? Hermeneutics and homiletics. All right. We're going to understand hermeneutics and homiletics. All right. Now, what is the difference between hermeneutics? Her- I knew you. I, you're on the edge of your seat waiting to find out the difference between hermeneutics and homiletics. I know it. You're so excited for this message today. I'm, I can feel it in the, bo- in the air around us. All right. So. Hermeneutics, and I have no idea who Stephen Etheridge is. All right? I found this quote on, the, on, the, on the Google, and I loved how he defined it. He could be a heretic. I don't know, but his definition is really good. So I'm not endorsing him. I'm endorsing his definition of hermeneutics and homiletics. That's all I know about the guy. All right? He might actually be a really good guy. I really don't know. Hermeneutics is a science of interpretation, typically of a written text. Again, because hermeneutics is what we use for all literature. Exegesis is what we use for all literature. Typically of a written text. Most traditionally and scientifically, the goal of hermeneutics is to understand the author's original intended meaning to his or her original audience. Sounds a lot like exegesis, right? All right. This is achieved by observing the text in its historical, grammatical, linguistic, and rhetorical context. Just like the Psalms. We know the Psalms are poetry. So we're not going to read the book of Psalms as we would as as we would read uh, the book of Acts, all right, or something like that. Acts is historical, Psalms is poetical, all right. So go on. Homiletics is the art of constructing a sermon or a speech. Okay. So my hermeneutics I put into practice all week long preparing today. Now, what you're experiencing is my ability to pre- create a homily. Now, whether or not it's any good or not, you can have your own opinion on that. But it's the art of constructing a sermon or a speech. It's achieved through the analysis, of the analysis of the particular current audience's social, cultural, rhetorical situation and applying the significance of a text found through hermeneutics, proper exegesis, to the needs, interests, and values of the contemporary audience, you. All right. This is done by the art of... Of rhetoric, all right? That's homiletics. That's a homily. Keep going. In summary, whereas hermeneutics is about scientifically discovering the original intended meaning of a text as it would have been understood by its original audience, homiletics is about carrying that meaning across the bridge of time to communicate the meaning and significance of that text to the contemporary audience. So it's the are we ready for this? It's the observation which makes the application. And if we don't have good hermeneutics and proper exegesis, our application or our homily is not going to work because we're not going to have done proper observation. So in order for you to create a understandable, easy to read sentence, I came up with one of my own versus a three paragraph definition. All right. You ready for this? This is going to blow your minds. It really matters because your homily reveals your hermeneutics and whether you exegete or the exegete scripture. All right. There it is. So remember that. You want these four words to use, be used in a sentence? I'll, I'll say it together, all right? Let's say this all together. Your homily reveals your hermeneutics, and whether you eisegete or exegete the Scripture, it matters, okay? Now, here's the deal. You might not be like, oh, I'm not getting up and preaching a sermon. Well, guess what? Every time you open your mouth about God, that is your homily. You tell someone about God. You tell someone about the Word of God. You are creating a homily. You are, that is your speech. That is your defense. And your homily will reveal your hermeneutics. And your hermeneutics will either be because you eisegeted the Scripture and you make the Scripture say whatever you want it to say, or you exegeted the Scripture and you have devoted yourself to submitting to the Word of God. It's really that simple. So that's why it matters. This observation piece is so important. Now, you don't have to use those four words. I just want you to understand that there's a significant transaction of information that's going on inside of your soul when you are reading the word of god the scripture says that is able it is a sharper than the two-edged sword it says that it is living and breathing it's because it's the word of god he has given this this thing has gone through the test of time there have been more government regimes have tried to eliminate the Word of God throughout the course of history, and they have never succeeded. The Word of God has withstood the test of time for us today to get it inside of us. So that's why we do this series. Now, we also are very intentional about this series on two fronts. First, we realize that our lives are all different. You're different than me. I'm different than you. You're different than the person sitting beside you. You're different than the people in your own home. Okay? And so we intentionally invite five different speakers to preach during our read your Bible series. We've been doing this for years. And we get a lot of feedback and I don't really like the way that guy preaches. I like this person. I don't want that one. I like this one. We don't really care a lot. Okay? (laughs) I'll just be honest. And the reason why is because we want you to understand it's not a cookie cutter process. Everybody does this a little bit differently, but we all apply the same principles. Our delivery styles are different. You don't have to look like the other guy. And so we intentionally have five different people speak so that you can see some of the differences of our personalities in the way that we put this into practice. Why? Because we know that you all don't look the same. You don't have to do it the same way. In my personal devotional time, I get up in the morning. I I think better in the morning. I want to give God my first part of my day. So I get up and I read the scriptures. Right now I'm reading through a chronological Bible that's laid out in the way that the Bible was actually written. And I'm reading through it in three years. Here's why I'm doing three years. I am a highly driven, goal-oriented individual. I know that about myself. Okay, Now here's what will happen. I've read through the Bible in a year. Ask me what I learned. I got through it in a year. <laughs> I, I completed my goal. All right? So I can get through the Bible in a year, no problem. But it doesn't mean I comprehended anything. So, because I'm highly goal oriented, I made it a goal. I will read through the Bible in three years. Now, I read 1.3 pages based upon the number of pages that are in my chronological Bible, Bible divided it by 365, and then I came up with 1.3. Now, I slow down. I have to force myself to read. You see, you just work with yourself. If you're that neurologically damaged, then do what you gotta do, but read the Bible. Right? And all of us do it differently. You could do it in the morning, at night, you could listen to the Bible on the the version app on your phone is phenomenal. Just get the word of God in you. The word of God will change you because it's his word. It's phenomenal. And so that's why we do this read your Bible series to help you have the tools that you need. In fact, we want, we are so committed to it. If you don't have a Bible, make sure you grab one in the hallway on the way out They look just like this. Just grab one. you're not stealing. We're given. We we want you to have it. Okay. Just pick one up and take it. You know, someone that needs one, take them one too. Okay. They're they're there for you to use for the series. Jim DeSicchio, he wrote a study guide. All right. He has put in hours upon hours. He started this months ago, all, right? all about the life of David, All right. from all the scripture that we're going to be going through. We want you to pick one of these up. We have several of them printed out in the lobby. All right? If we ran out, I don't know. I forgot to look, actually. We'll print more, but we're also sending out an email. It's going to have this in an email today to everybody that's on our email list. So if you aren't signed up on our email list, please fill out one of your little cards so that we can have your email correctly addressed in our database. Thank you. All right. Little side there. So if you don't have, we don't have your email, you aren't going to get this digital file, but we do have this on a digital copy. Why? We want you to have every resource possible for you to... See, you got it. All right. Good job. All right. See, now you can go home and read your Bible and you're all hooked up and ready to go. So let's dive in this morning uh, to studying the life of david and so as we dive into the life of david today you'll find as you read the study guide um, david's life covers a great deal of scripture okay Um, and david's life really uh the whole line of christ comes through through david and so his his story covers a lot all right and so we encourage you to read it but it all starts with his calling okay and so in order to understand his calling we've got to have a little bit of context based on exegesis and our hermeneutics, we got to understand a little bit about what's going on during the life of David in his calling. All right? So at this point in time, Samuel is the prophet. All right? A prophet at that point in time would have been kind of like uh, uh, an advisor to the king. He was highly respected. King, Saul, Samuel was actually the transition piece. He was the last judge, and he was the first prophet to anoint the first king of Israel. So Samuel actually was the first prophet to anoint... King Saul. And so out of all the people of Israel, Samuel anointed King Saul as king, the first king over Israel. Right? And so that happened several years ago prior to this point that we're getting to this morning. Um, and as we've all learned throughout history, power oftentimes corrupts. Right. Well, the same thing happened to Saul. Saul's heart turned. He went evil in the middle of, of his kingship. And, uh, and so God removed his covering from King Saul. Now, King Saul at this point in time had several kids, Uh, and so if you know anything about history, the the rite of passage goes on to the next son, usually the firstborn son. And so Saul had several sons that would have been rightful heirs to the throne. And so when we pick up this story, we have to understand that Samuel is breaking all norms. He is breaking all cultural values and, and is in fear of his life a little bit, all right? So that's where we kind of pick up the story when when we read what we're going to read here in 1 Samuel, all right? And so we're just going to read about David's calling here this morning and see what set David apart from every other person that could have been eligible to be king at that time and even one of Saul's own sons. So maybe Saul was done, but why not one of his sons, all right? Well, let's get into the Word and see what happens here this morning. So this is where we pick it up, First Samuel 16, 1. The Lord said to Samuel, how long are you going to mourn for Saul? So see, my exegesis was good. I just told you that's what happened. So Saul, Samuel's mourning for Saul because Saul's evil now. And, and now he no, Samuel no longer talks to Saul at this point in time because Samuel, Saul isn't concerned about the things of God. Since I have rejected him as king over Israel, fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king oh wow big words because Samuel knows the process he's the one that anoints the kings that's his job all right but Samuel said um God how can I go if Saul hears about this yeah he's gonna kill me right well the Lord said take a heifer with you that (laughs) solves everything and uh, say I've come to sacrifice to the Lord Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I'll show you what to do. You're, you're going to anoint for me the one that I indicate. So Samuel did it. He's like, all right, Lord, I trust you. Why? Because when we read and hear the Word of God, we submit to it, no matter if it goes against what we think is right. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the tra- town trembled when they met him. Now, the elders of the town, they would have been the a different environment. So if you understand the culture and the context, they would have been the the kind of the leaders of the community, and they would have known who Samuel is, and typically when a prophet comes in to the town, um, it's not really going to go well for the city. Uh, the, so they, they were afraid. They trembled, and they asked him, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, I come in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord, just like the Lord told him to do. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Now, I kind of got hung up during this time. I went through the whole process to see, like, what was that consecration a lot of neat things happening in this consecration process and even getting ready for this uh, sacrifice that's going to be made but that's not the point of the story so i had to keep going on then he consecrated jesse and his sons and he invited them to the sacrifice and when they arrived samuel saw eliab and thought sure because again he's there to anoint the next king samuel knew full well what he was doing So he saw Eliab, the oldest of of Jesse's, and said, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. Eliab apparently looked good. He carried himself well, probably spoke well, probably was a warrior of some sort, and he was a good-looking guy. But the Lord said, No, uh, do not consider his appearance. Don't consider his height, for I have rejected him. Because the Lord does not look at the things that people look at. See, people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord... He looks at the heart. And remember that as we continue to go on. The Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by Samuel and said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. Seven. Samuel's got to be getting frustrated by now. He's like, Lord, I'm kind of like living on the edge here. Like, how many more kids does this guy got? Samuel said to him, the Lord's not chosen any of these. So he asked Jesse, are these, are these all the sons that you have? Oh, they're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's out tending the sheep. Of course, we give the youngest one the job that none of, nobody wants, right? He's out with the sheep. Samuel said, well, then send for him because we're not going to sit down till he gets in here, all right? I love how he takes control of the situation, all right? till he gets here. So he sent for him and he had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine, a fine appearance and handsome features. Now, if you catch this, he just said, don't look at the outward appearance. But we just have this outward appearance described as being pretty good. So what's the difference here? David looks just as good as Eliab, but there's something different that sets him apart. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. Huh. But it's not about appearance. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. And then Samuel went off to Ramah. All right. So now that's where we pick up the story. And I'll, I'll tell you, as I process through the scripture, I've read this passage several times. I've preached through this passage several times. And I, and I reread the passage. And I'm like, all right, God, how am I going to give people something fresh? And there's an old adage in preacher's world that says, if you preach to yourself, you're going to preach to someone in the room. All right. So whoever you're someone are, you're gonna, your mind's about to get blown because this changed my perspective on Old Testament history. All right. And so um, in, in a moment, I'll tell you what that, that is. And, and we'll just practice right now. So when I give you the great reveal, just practice saying, going, ah, right? All right sorry, sorry. ah, There you go. See, all right. So just to flatter me when I get there, I'll, I'll cue you up and just, and they'll make me feel better. Uh, it's really not that mind blowing, but it was really, it had great implications for me. But when you read this passage and you study what's going on, the, the processes are fascinating from the consecration to Samuel being called and the fact that he was a prophet and now he's kind of just wandering around grieving the fact that he anointed King Saul to now he gets to anoint the next king while the current king is still enthroned. There's so much I could teach on there, but that's not the context of the passage. I would be isogening the scripture if that's the direction I want. I went. So I'm like, all right, Lord, how do I make sure that I process this differently so that I can give something that is what you're trying to teach us in this passage? What set David apart in his calling? And so we go back to that, that one verse, verse 11, I th- or 7 it is. It says, The Lord said to Samuel, Don't consider his appearance or his height. Because honestly, if you go back to Saul, that's kind of what set Saul apart from everybody. He stood head and shoulders, the scriptures say, above everyone else. Because I rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. All right, so that's what this is all about. His calling is about David's heart. It's not his appearance. It's about David's heart. And so, as I know the scriptures, uh, David is known for being what a man after. Yeah. So you know it too. So all right, well then let's just keep going on because obviously it's about the heart. But what is it about the heart? So then I I dug in a little bit deeper and I'm like, all right, what's the Hebrew word for heart in the Old Testament? And I've I've done lots of sermons on this, so I knew what it was, but it's labab And it means the mind or the inner person, all right? So God looked at the mind of David, all right? So he looked inside of David. He looked inside of who the inner being was of David. He says, that's my chosen one. I want David because he's different on the inside than everybody else. All right, all right, that's cool. I get that. I can understand that. So then it led me to my next question. It's like, all right, so let's dig a little deeper in that because we all knew David was called that. It's quite a compliment. I mean, can you imagine if God looked down at you and he used your name and he says, you are a man or a woman after my own heart. Man, that would be powerful. What a compliment. But how would David have revealed that in his life at this point in time? Where would God have seen evidence that David's heart reflected his heart as a king. So then I dug a little bit deeper, and we have the answer based upon where David was. But before we get there, um, we have to remember something about David. When we think about his heart, he's a man after God's own heart, so he's a murderous, adultering deceptor. Hmm. Well, that sounds like the God I want to worship, right? So how... If I know those things about David, then how do I align the seeming contradiction? And see, when we practice proper acts Jesus, we can get rid of seeming contradictions because then we know the context. We understand what's going on. So I had to dig a little bit deeper. So when we dig deeper to get rid of seeming contradictions, we need to remember this. When you read the Bible, you have to be willing to be wrong. When you read the Bible, you, you have to be willing to be wrong. And you have to be willing to change when you are confronted with the truth. All right, I don't care how long you've believed a certain thing or believed a certain way, when you are confronted with the truth, when we read God's word, we have to go to the word of God with a willingness to change and be molded by whatever the word of God says. And so as I was reading this, and it, and it, wasn't, it was more of change in the way that I viewed history. And sometimes that changes our perspective of all things. And so when I looked up where was David and what, what revealed his heart, where was David at when, when all of his brothers were being passed by? He was taking care of the sheep. You see, David's heart was reflected in him being a shepherd. Now, being a good pastor, I've always associated pastor-shepherd together because good New Testament teaching, we combine that together and it's a pastor-shepherd gift. Well, guess what the Old Testament is? It's not the same word. Shepherd in the Old Testament, guess what it means? You ready for this? This is a big reveal. You ready? King and ruler. Yeah! See, is that amazing? That's great. See, I can go home like you guys. Are. I'm just joking. No, but it really was. It was eye opening because when we look at the Old Testament as shepherd, meaning king or ruler, guess where David learned how to be a king. Guess where David revealed to God, his character out on the field with the sheep. Guess where everybody else was when they were having a party. David was out doing the business of God taking care of the sheep, doing the thing a king would do, doing the thing. So God knew that a shepherd goes after the one sheep, even when all the other 99 are doing fine. So you start balancing out all these different things. And I start thinking about, I have all these other passages running through my mind that are New Testament and Old Testament. Does this fit? Because when you have a new discovery, you've got to test it against the rest of Scripture. This is all good observation, all right? And so I began to analyze, okay, is that consistent with every other use of the word shepherd and even David's life? When I think about God saying, it's not about his behavior, because his behavior was a little bit deplorable at times. It's about his heart. And his heart was revealed as a good king, as a good ruler, as he took care of his sheep. Is that consistent in the rest of David's life? I began to analyze that. So because I know a lot of David's story, because I've preached to it many times, and we go to that passage where, uh, where it just says it. So let's, let's go back to where Samuel identifies where David was, all right? So he asked Jesse, are these all your sons? They're still the youngest, Jesus answered. Jesse answered. I did that first service too, Jesse, not Jesus. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him, we will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him, and he had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. The Lord said, rise and anoint this one. This was the beginning of the point in time where God can say of David, he is a man after my own heart because his character is revealed by the way he takes care of his sheep all right so let's go to and i'm not going to go into great depth because i don't want to take away one of the other guys that's preaching on this uh his his power of the message but i know in second samuel where nathan because by this point in time in david's story samuel is dead and nathan is the new prophet uh, nathan has to confront david in his sin all right? And David, at this point in time, had, had uh, killed Uriah and slept with Bathsheba and uh, created all kinds of deceit and all that other stuff. And Nathan has the incredible opportunity to go to a king and confront him. All right? And so if you read the story, uh, Nathan uses a story of a shepherd. Why? Why? Because it stands consistent with this idea of a shepherd. He uses the idea of one rich shepherd, a poor shepherd, one has many flocks, one only has one. So Nathan knew, God knew to inspire Nathan to use an illustration of a shepherd not caring for the sheep and violating the whole system to create an incensed anger within David. If you see it, David was angry and cast down judgment upon that person. And Nathan turns around and looks at him and says, that person is you and David immediately breaks. Why? Because if if my theory is right, and my exegesis is correct, it's because God knew that David's heart as a ruler and as a king was revealed in the way that he took care of his flocks. So what different, what better way to reveal this idea of the inner character of David than using the very area where David was shaped into being a good king? And then when we read that and we think about the things that it takes for a shepherd to, to take care for his sheep, it fits perfectly with being a king or a ruler as a shepherd. And then we read New Testament and we think about Jesus being called the king and the great shepherd. It, makes, it, it totally changes, and I'm still not done changing it, because when I go to the Word and if I'm wrong about something, I'll change the way I think. It changes the way that I see the word shepherd in in fact i i have to honestly admit you remember how many of you were here during the series when we did the the growing series and we told about the stages and the the different levels good two of you that's good um go back and listen all right so anyways poor illustration but in one of them it it talked about being self-righteous um and, and now now you guys see why the, the audience is always different like two people raised and there's probably more but you know the, the audience is never the same in here so anyways um totally got me off track with that sorry but anyways in that i was being a self-righteous leader at one point in time because oftentimes i would use that shepherd to judge fellow pastors because in the new testament we use it to talk about teachers and pastors well let me just be honest pastors don't have a lot of rule like a king all right And so it's unfair to apply biblical, I was eisegeting the judgment of the shepherds of the Old Testament that God punished upon New Testament preachers because we are not the same. And so I totally, I mean, God convicted me of that as I'm reading this. So when you you come to a new discovery, you have to be willing to admit where you're wrong. I mean, this just happened last week, folks. When you come to the truth of the Word of God, are you willing to admit where you're wrong? So when we get there today and and we look at this idea of David and and David being a man after God's own heart, and we've gone through the observation process here, we've got to ask ourselves, well, how do I apply that to my life? How do I take that passage of David being a king and David being a ruler? I'm not really a king. I'm not really a ruler. How do I apply that today? Well, then now comes in good application, all right? So we know, that, we know the context. We've, we've gone through the process. Now we get to ask ourselves a question because this is what, this is what God was really revealing about the character of David in this passage. Go to the, the question here. So when we apply this, we really need to ask ourselves, who are you on the inside? Who am I on the inside? What does my inside mind reveal about who I am? In other words, you might look really good on the outside. You might be a really kind and nice and gracious person on the outside, but on the inside, you're seething with bitterness and hate. Let me give you a, an illustration. Um, maybe you were treating someone really nice, and, and you're being really good, and, and you know that they're a horrible, rotten person, and man, you, on the inside, you're just really wishing they'd get what's coming to them, And then, and then... And then, as life has it, they get what's coming to them. And on the inside, you're kind of doing a little dance. Okay? Okay, you guys haven't ever done that. All right, that's good. Uh, You're better than me. So that reveals the inside. On the outside, I might have treated that person well, but on the inside, I'll just use this one. Like when that person speed, like I speed a lot. And then someone else is speeding faster. And then they get pulled over. It's like, yeah, that's kind of funny what kind of a person am I? That's horrible. It's coming to me someday. Right. All right. So what is, what does our inside reveal about our character? We ask ourselves this question, is your behavior good, but your heart or your inner mind evil? Is your behavior good, but your heart or your inner mind is evil? And think about this in this context. You might behave really well because you're just one of those really super self-disciplined people. You guard what you say, but man, if people knew what was going on inside of you. So imagine you just have like that little, uh, your forehead is like a video screen and, and what you're thinking is really being played out in front of whoever you're with. And, and, and think about like when you're with your boss or, or your coworkers, or your spouse. Who your relatives? We just came off of vacation. Your in-laws. <laughs> what about your children? You know, that time when you're about ready to wring their neck. What if, what if all that was being played out? You see, because that's kind of, our, that's kind of our, our field where we get to take care of the flock. That's the flock that we get to be a part of. And that's what this passage is saying is David looked good on the outside as well as on the inside. That's what God was judging in him. Now, some of David's behavior on the outside didn't always look good. But when it didn't look good, all God had to do was speak to his heart and David repented. So it's not about getting it right on the outside. It's what's going on on the inside. So the question that I want to leave you with that I hope is the one that really sticks with you, not because the others can kind of be a little judgmental. This is the one that I want us to dwell upon. Does your internal being reflect the image of God? Does your internal being reflect the image of God? And I I want to strongly suggest to you, the reason why we're doing Read Your Bible is if the Word of God is not in you, you're going to have a really, really, really hard time reflecting the image of God. Because we find the image of God through the pages of His Word. So we cannot encourage you enough to read the Bible on your own because it will literally change you from the inside out. So that we, the church, the body of Christ, those who call upon his great name and say we follow him so that we can be a better reflection of the God we say we serve. Let's pray. God, you are so awesome. And God, you have chosen humans to be your reflection. What a messed up system that seems to me. But God, what an honor What a privilege that we get to carry your name into a world that is lost without hope. So God, I pray that you would give us the desire to want to know your word better. Help us, Lord, to use the proper tools so that we can dig into your word and let it come alive in our hearts so that you literally change us from the inside out so that, God, you can say of us, you are a man or a woman after my own heart. Because, God, we know what your heart looks like. Because we're in your word regularly. God, you're so good. Shape us, mold us, encourage us, chastise us, rebuke us. Encourage us, heal us. And may we be your children. And may we give you all the honor and all the glory. And all God's people said, amen.